Welcome to Podship Earth. This is your host, Jer Blumenfeld. Since November 2016, the word resistance has gained a lot of traction. From bumper stickers to graffiti, we are told to resist. Resisting literally means a refusal to accept or comply with something or to prevent something by action or argument. I don't want to be a downer, but it doesn't appear that the resistance is being that effective. Yes, we may win some elections, we may even take back the House of Representatives in November, but in order to get the ecosystem back in balance, we need to switch into a higher gear. This week, I talked with Marie Harrison and Ray Leon. Marie and Ray know how to resist. Each and every day, they fight for their communities and win. Let's start with Marie, who I've been in awe of for more than 20 years. Marie organized mothers, old folk, and everyday residents to successfully close down the Hunters Point power plant in San Francisco back in 2006. Marie works in the Bayview community of San Francisco. During World War II, the Navy recruited African Americans from across the country to come to work at the shipyard. As a result, the Bayview has been a predominantly black community for decades. The Naval Radiological Defense Laboratory operated on the shipyard until 1960s. Its toxic legacy continues today with soil and water contaminated with pesticides, heavy metals, PCBs, volatile organic compounds, and radionuclides. The site was put on the EPA Superfund list back in 1989, and hundreds of millions of dollars have been spent to clean it up. The Bayview community asked Marie and her organization, Green Action, to help make sure that the cleanup was done properly. Marie always knew that something wasn't quite right. She told everyone that would listen, but few would believe the testimony of a resident against the word of hundreds of engineers, lawyers, and environmental experts. This spring, the lid blew off one of the biggest eco-conspiracies ever. We have new details tonight about one of the most valuable pieces of open land in San Francisco, the Hunters Point Shipyard. At some point, it will be developed into housing, but not until the radiation has been cleaned up. The company hired to clean it up may have falsified results. Navy officials found nearly 50% of that data was inconsistent, a lot of it likely fraudulent. But according to the EPA, that number is closer to 100%. Cleanup has been on hold for the past few years as the EPA investigated potential scandal. Now, new documents reveal that as much as 97% of the cleanup data is unreliable and must be retested. It is a charged escalation of the firestorm surrounding the city's redevelopment of the shipyard, a project now on hold as the city tries to figure out exactly what is or is not in the Hunter's Point soil now that two Tetratech employees have pled guilty to falsifying their test results. And it turns out this is nothing new. In 2000, a long-burning toxic fire sparked outrage from Bayview residents. Well, you want a house next to a 46-acre landfill that got radioactive in it, PCBs, and you name it in it, that's on fire. They're winning. I'm waking up to ash and dust. I wipe my brow and I sweat my rust. I'm breathing in the chemicals. Marie, you have a very long history with Hunters Point Naval Shipyard. What was the community like back in the day? Well, for years, on top of years, 
Bayview Hunters Point was kind of forgotten. We were off in the southeast sector in a corner and nobody wanted to live there. Uh, I mean, going back as far as the days when I could remember when they used to run cattle down the street. I could remember when the shrimp boats used to pull up into the banks there and you could go down, buy whatever fish, whatever shrimp, whatever you wanted. One of the first jobs I worked, Jared, was at um, the Hunters Point Naval Shipyard. I worked for the Navy. I was a civilian. I was a file clerk specialist. Working at the shipyard, did you have a sense of the scale of the environmental impacts? It was very interesting. I was very dumb because uh, I didn't realize that all the things that they were sandblasting off of these big old drums that they took off the ships and out of the submarines, they would lift these huge things out and just sandblast. I didn't realize that that was asbestos and it would get all in my hair. The right. only place during those days that uh, uh, we could buy homes was in Bayview. I remember when my dad worked out at the shipyard and he made such good money, he was able to put money aside for me to go to college. It was what I considered a real community because people used to stop you on the street and say, hello, good morning, good afternoon, how you doing? You know, and people that you knew, you always greeted them with a hug and a kiss and, you know, yeah. make yeah. sure you tell your mom, I saw you and blah, 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 whatever, you know. I guess after the shipyard shut down and not realizing the kind of damage that was left behind, the dangers and the damage that was being done to the community as well as the men and women who worked there. How about the higher ups in the Navy? Do you think they knew what was going on? You have to wonder, did they know all along? I believe they did know all along. I believe it because I worked there. I believe it because I have watched people in my community not even grow old and get sick, but people get sick and die. And on many occasions, a lot of those folks lost those homes. It was kind of like a throwaway community. Bayview is still the only place in San Francisco where both major freeways uh, get you both ways, coming and going, and then the train tracks, a commuter train as well as what we used to call the old workhorse. You know, that's the one that hauled all of the garbage stuff away, but it came right through Bayview right through our community. It's a black community. Who really cares? Until it became obvious that Bayview was the last hurrah for San Francisco. If you look around San Francisco, you will note it that there's no place else to do any real... You might buy an old building and gut it or rebuild it from the ground, but it's in that one little tiny spot. But there is room to spread out in Bayview still. It's like a gold rush, though. Yeah, I mean, people is. are... I, it, it I, is, I, but I was, we're not invited to the gold rush. And that's unfortunate. That is terrible. And how does that make you feel? Well, I've got to be honest with you. It, it feels used, like I was used. But Why were you such a threat to these billion-dollar corporations? The Mothers and Fathers Committee that I worked with, we used to do this, this uh, watch. You're supposed to be watering Take, we would take pictures of you if you weren't, count how many trucks went through. I remember you'd come and you'd present every, the decision makers and you'd say they weren't watering, they weren't doing this work, and then people would just say, 
Marie, you're lying. We do we do all the great work. Why is this person trying to I literally to make had us- a woman stand in my face. You know the one thing I do resent is for you to look me in the face and call me a liar. You can say anything you want to say to me or about me, but do not call me a liar. And you're going to tell me why you sit here and told me that I was lying. And she told me after the meeting, look, I have to keep my job. And it's not personal, Marie, but you guys just won't give up. But it now turns out, right, in the newspapers that a lot of what you were saying, that the <laughs> Every, Not just a lot, everything Everything that we, every issue that we wrote. So tell us about some of the large contractors, what they've been up to. Well, let's start off with the beginning. The first lie was that they were monitoring all of the dust and the air coming off of the shipyard and doing all of the heavy grading. It was a lie. We were putting monitors in the community. We discovered that none of the community monitors, it, it was an empty box. It had no workings in it. Lie number two, we're all out here screaming that, this stuff is coming over the fence line, and you're saying that you have permission from the community to allow radioactive dust coming over the fence into the, our home? No. Somebody needs to tell me when this happened and who these people were. I never got the information. And our health department literally was helping them out with the lie, and they turned the health department out on the community in force, walking, knocking on door to door of all the houses around up on top of the hill to tell folks that there's a group of people out here. There's, they're just trying to incite a riot. There's this little short black lady. And I said, well, hell, I'm the only little short black lady I know that's trying to make you do what you're supposed to be doing. While they never used my name, I assumed it was me. But there were a couple of EPA workers who truly, truly needed to lose their jobs. And I mean, they needed to lose them in the worst kind of way. There was no actual going out sampling anything. So what's the lesson, Marie? You've been in the front line. You've sat in thousands of community meetings. You've heard people lie to your face. You see that people want to speed things up to make more money. You've seen a community that's been disenfranchised, and they're now selling those condos um, in the communities that you used to live in for a million dollars to people who never even heard of the shipyard. Like... What does it make you think? My God, it's not just Bayview. It's not just in one black community. Do you realize that the kind of thing that we were going through, the disbelief, and just straight out lying to your face about your well-being and your health and your children's well-being, no matter how many times you could prove that you yourself or your children have had to go back with and forth to the doctors, no matter how many of our children were brought right to the brinks of death and are died, Every community, I visited six, one in Washington. That's Washington, D.C., the capital, and they're all the same. Mm. It's like, you can't, you can't tell me that every poor black community in the United States, in this whole big old place, are going through the same things and with the same agencies. It makes no sense. It's mind boggling that we could do that. I mean, like today. So how do you keep faith? Oh God. Well, first of all, this is a fight. I mean, it's literally a 
take you out to the, you know, they say take it out to the street. This has become literally one of those kind of battles. We literally have to take them out to the street. And to remember, no, it doesn't matter how tired, how disappointed you are. Maybe everything is saying, being said to you is being said by lying and cheating. And there's always a no at the end of that. You have to remember that it is more than just your neighbor's lives or their children's lives. It's actually your life. With me, it was not only my life and my well-being, it was my grandchildren. I have a grandson who, boy, by the time he was four, was having such horrible asthma episodes. I literally was told to lift him up and move him out of the community. Yeah. It's crazy. It It is crazy. crazy. I've been in, in meetings where... People who are paid, lawyers, scientists, uh, consultants, are paid lots of money, and it's all of them versus Marie. My mother told me once that if you don't think enough of yourself, nobody else is going to. And I always believe if I know deep within myself that I am right, you have to prove me wrong. I was born in Missouri, so you got to show me. And, and you got to convince me. And I always felt like if I could get five good minutes worth of conversation in there, I got you. You may not want to be gotten, but I got you. And, and, and I would look at some of these, especially the engineers that they used to bring to our meetings, used to tickle me. Finally, one told me, says, uh, I just want to let you know that I don't believe uh, at all that you're not an engineer because you just have too much information. I says, well, I do my homework. And you know, bullshit just is bullshit. And it's like, I have a bullshit meter. I'm a mother and a grandmother. I don't have anything else to lose. Somebody has got to say, no, plant their feet firmly on solid ground. And what I discovered is that it's going to take a mother. I, it's no disrespect toward men. And it's no disrespect toward their engineering degree. I don't have a PhD our MD, none of that. But I have a bullshit meter. And he just kind of looked at me and went, I don't believe you. We were up on Kiss You've got a very sensitive bullshit meter. Oh, hey. So the one thing that I like to do, especially with young folks, is to press really hard on the fact that this is not so much about me because I'll be gone. By the time this thing finally gets totally cleaned up and cleaned up right, I'll be gone. It's going to be up to you. Somebody a whole lot younger and a whole lot smarter. So San Francisco prides itself and the rest of the nation sees it as very progressive, very forward-leaning. How could this happen in San Francisco? You're not going to like it, but San Francisco is now, and until they wake up, will always be one of the most racist cities in the whole of the United States. Anytime a liberal person can look me in the face and go, oh, Marie, how can you live over there with those people (laughs) and not realize what you have said and who you've said it to? It's like I have to bite my tongue and say, "Uh, excuse me, honey, I'm one of those people. Well, uh, 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 
And you know what? I'm not even mad at you because San Francisco raises communities of liberal folks who don't really know the difference. You don't know what racism truly is, not just environmental racism, but you don't know what racism, period, is. What does it mean when people talk about environmental racism? It's not a hard thing to explain, but I've discovered that it's a hard thing for a lot of people to wrap their brains around. And until you walk, as they say, a mile in my shoes. A lot of people have heard about the environment movement. They've heard about the civil rights and the justice movement. Mm -hmm. Explain how these things came together. And Well, first and foremost, do you realize that you can't have one without the other? They're all interlocked. Uh, and you need to throw in social justice there. You can't have social justice without environmental justice. Uh, human rights comes right back around that circle. They all kind of join hand in hand. I know people try to separate them. When I came on about 20, maybe 21 years ago with Green Action, my job was to connect the dots for the communities, you know, for the people who didn't have PhDs behind their names and all these wonderful things. And it's amazing how smart people are about their lives and what's going on around them if you listen. So I had to learn not only how to listen, but how to connect those dots. If this was TV, people would notice that you're... You got to breathe oxygen through a uh, tube. Yeah. And uh, you had to leave San Francisco for health reasons. You're just recovering. My doctor had said to me, you've worked from San Diego all the way to Sacramento at different communities and different toxic sites. How could we place blame on any one of them? Because all of them are going to have something to do with what's going on with you. So I don't know how to name this. I've gone past the what it is and why it is, it happened evidently during my work and my lifetime. I've placed myself in harm's way. It, to me, will be all worth it if it saves one life. I honestly believe that anything that I'm going through now, if it by chance can save a life, and who knows, Jared, it might even end up being one of my children or my grandchildren. I think you've so, already saved many lives just knocking down Hunter's Point power plant. Oh, hey. Um, the pollution that came from that year after year after year. Oh, if hey. there's one person that helped end that, that was you. Marie, you're my hero. Oh, Thank hey. You. Thank you. I like being somebody's hero. <laughs> Breaking news. Just a short time ago, ICE confirmed to ABC 7 News it has arrested more than 150 people in Northern California since Sunday as part of a targeted immigration operation. We travel from the richest city in California to the state's poorest community, Huron, a town that's 98% Latino, to meet up with Ray Leon, an environmental justice advocate who is now the town's mayor. Ray was born in Fresno and is a graduate of the University of California at Berkeley. He's the founder and executive director of the Latino Environmental Advancement and Policy Project. And Ray is one of the few people I've met who actually has amped it up since going into politics. As I drove into Huron, the town says that the population is 7,000. 
How many people do you actually think live in Huron? In reality, last time that the census was going on, there were raids going on, which inhibited many families from participating because this is an agricultural city. And what that means is that, you know, the fact and the reality is that agriculture cannot function without immigrant labor. And Huron is a strong representative of that immigrant labor. And therefore, we are a good 98.7% Latino, but many of the families would say that they're not Latino, would say even that they're not Mexicano because they are indigenous from Mesoamerica. And uh, of the people that are in our community, at least 12 languages are spoken, four of which are Spanish, English, Yemenese, and Punjabi. The other eight plus are Mesoamerican indigenous languages that include Mayan. And you, you hear with uh, all the crackdowns and uh, anti-immigrant sentiments coming from Washington, D.C., like that seems to send chills through communities like this. It does. And so the argument is, why are they hitting uh, areas where there's productive immigrants that aren't criminals and uh, supposedly it's criminals that they're after, why don't they go and take them out from the prison where you usually find criminals, right? Uh, uh, and that's what one of our mayors uh, from our county says, uh, Mayor of Parlier, she works at the Avenal State Prison. She says, well, we have guys that have been waiting to be deported and are anxious to be deported for a very long time, but then they haven't deported them, yet they'll go to a company where there's a productive, hardworking, you know, uh, 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 father of a family, and they could get them out instantaneously. A few days ago, there was a, um, a team coming out of uh, a Fresno County taking on uh, uh, warrants, probation warrants, and uh, companies that have been hit by ICE. Uh, e even if it's not true, just the fear of it, you know, possibly occurring. Uh, people don't go out, don't shop, don't put gas in their car, don't drive. Uh, and so if they're not going to work, then that's an uh, impact on the, the employer, right? So how did they vote for the 2016 election? They were tooth and nail supporting Trump. So as mayor, we're talking about the poorest city in the state of California having to pay uh, $40 a month, you know, for, you know, maybe like 6,000 gallons of water. And, and if it's, uh, you know, uh, a big family, well, it's going to be that much tougher. You know, uh, it's another disproportionate impact. This is a community that has been producing a great deal for the state of California, you know, just like all the other farm worker cities. There's no reason why a farm worker community that does this hard work, gets paid minimum wage, gets no pension plan, no other benefits, not have access to the resources where they could at least be able to drink clean water. So I noticed in the store that, that there's a lot of bottled water. Do people feel like the water really isn't safe coming out of the force? That's what's happening. Uh, there's a, there's a, a, a water filtration system near the bank that every day there's people getting, filling up uh, five gallon containers, you know. You were the mayor for the poorest city in California. Do you feel forgotten? Definitely, definitely. 
um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's really sad because, you know, even though we're the poorest, we're not the town with the highest unemployment rate, you know. And so what does that tell you? It's that the industry is just not providing the living wage it should be, right? And that's one of the reasons I feel very strongly that we should diversify our economy so that it's not just ag. Because when there's a drought, ag is hit hard, and that means everybody's hit hard. If it was diverse, just like any other ecosystem, then there's more resiliency. It, there would be economic resiliency in this case, right? So, uh, I mean... What, what kind of things are you looking at, well, Ray? You know, one, one thing that I, I think would be a good idea, you know, battery technology, right? To be able to have the capacity that we will need for our new electric-powered vehicles. Why not have something of that sort here where it's blue-collar jobs, it's going to require white-collar jobs, people in the lab, and we could work. You know, we got kids that go to Berkeley. We got kids to go that go to Stanford. You went to Berkeley. Yes, I did. And, and I'm not the only one, you know. And we got kids that go off to get an education, but they don't come back because there's nothing here for them. So part of the, what I'm doing is to try to enhance the quality of life in the community in terms of the infrastructure, you know, to bring in a, a, a multimodal, culturally relevant pedestrian refuge where you could go and charge your electric vehicle, hang out and uh, see your relatives, your friends, you know, kick back and have it where it's relevant, purposeful and intentionally engaging to get our kids to build identity in a positive way because if we don't have the youth programs to do that, then we're gonna see more gangs, we're gonna see more shootings, you know, and we have been forgotten because we don't have those resources. And the institutions that are meant to be able to provide us those opportunities of developing those assets have been inattentive. Now I'm hoping it will be in a renewable technology, something that empowers the clean energy movement that the state of California is bolstering and has been highlighting and has been identified for doing just that on the global scale. I'm with that. That's my movement. And are you still running your nonprofit LEAP? Latino Equity Advocacy and Policy Institute. So it essentially is a rural ride sharing program with electric vehicles or kind of those that don't have electric vehicles will work with them to get electric vehicles. And the drivers are retired farm workers that have no pension plan. Uh, you know, a lot of times retired farm workers, their bodies are broken. We're trying to set it up to where we reduce the cost to the families in our community that need to go to the doctor's appointment and to be able to get there timely and from door to door and not have to pay $100. That's such a cool idea, Ray. As mayor, how are you defining your priorities? We don't like doing stuff from the top down. You know, so a lot of things that we've done around here, uh, even before I was mayor, is bringing in the families and, and identifying the problems and uh, also uh, identifying solutions. We engaged over 100 farm worker families. So all those projects that they identified, one of them is a plaza, which I'm working hard on. Uh, bike lane infrastructure, which I'm working hard on. The uh, roundabout, which we've submitted for. Last year, I, I ordered um, non-GMO sweet white corn because uh, in our culture, uh, as a purépecha rooted, you know, Chicano, uh, we, one of our uh, traditional uh, foods of our gastronomic universe 
are uchepos. Uchepos are essentially uh, sweet corn tamales, fresh sweet corn tamales. You know, you don't make masa out of them, you just grind the corn and you do the process as you would a, a tamal, and they're sweet. Uh, they could be white, they could be yellow, but they're sweet. And you, you, you eat them with salsa. I eat them with salsa. I love them. Uh, hot salsa, like, like, like fire salsa and with a hot coffee. And so the sweet with a fire and the hot coffee, it's like, it's a divine experience that's just out of this world. One of the ironies of being in the middle of the San Joaquin Valley with all the, the farm workers that, that pick the food that ends up on our plates is there's not a lot of fresh food in this town. It's hard to get the food that they pick. And we got a bunch of markets, but what I noticed in the markets, they have a lot of uh, high fructose corn syrup canned foods. A lot of them, a lot of it. It's like, like I don't know, it just seems kind of crazy that it's, there's that much in there, you know? And uh, what we need is a, a community garden. I think what we're doing here is building the base for something bigger soon. Within the community, we have huge assets, you know, and uh, I think this is a first step, but I could see, you know, at some point getting a larger plot, you know, with the hands in the soil and connected to Mother Earth. We shouldn't be held hostage by, by the industry. We should learn how to be more self-sustaining and uh, empower the communalism that a lot of our cultures are, you know, the roots of our cultures, whether you be Purepecha, Mixteco, Zapoteco, or, or any other folk, you know, communalism is a strong part of our tradition, you know, but uh, the whole process of trying to modernize the indigenous population has stripped many of that virtue. And, and then it makes us slaves to a market, right? And so uh, we gotta, we gotta re-embrace our roots and because the phrase that is in Spanish, cultura cura, is just not a pair of terms, it's a truth, your culture cures. And we're, we've inherited this awesome gastronomy that is not just food, it's medicine. It's not McDonald's, it's not Burger King. It's not all these things that have been increasing diabetes and cholesterol, you know. When you stick to what your DNA is familiar with, then you're gonna be healthy, way healthier. We just gotta come to the realization that uh, the people from this continent were very sustainable, very resilient from the very beginning, and the diversity is really important and the respect of the diversity, and we can learn much from each other. Thank you, Mayor Ray. Thank you very much. Thank you for your trip down here to the heart of the valley, and I hope you guys love the tacos. Thank you to Marie Harrison and Maya Ray Leon for just being themselves. I left hanging out with both Ray and Marie, ready to take on the next challenge, no matter what it is. Marie and Ray share a few traits and resistance practices that we can all learn from. They start by listening to the needs of community, and they continually check back in with residents to find out if they're on the right track. They identify key decisions and the decision makers at every level of government that can affect the future of the community interests. They do their homework. They often know more about the issues than the highly paid experts. They investigate, finding out facts that corporate polluters would rather keep hidden. They use the media, they know the journalists, and they know how to give a good soundbite. And also, they collaborate. They look for partners everywhere they can find them. And they're tenacious. They never, ever give up. And finally, they just genuinely love what they do. 
Next week, I get to do what I love doing, climbing Mount Shasta and fly fishing with my son, Marcus. The ice axes and crampons are all ready. If you have time, please like Podship Earth on Facebook. Thank you so much for being part of the Podship Earth journey from the entire Podship Earth crew, sound engineer Rob Spate, producer Nancy Ferranti, executive producer David Kahn, and me, Jared Blumenfeld. Have a fabulous week. <laughs> <laughs>